Welcome to The War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Today we have a special treat for you. Uh, kids' cereals um, during the war were key to, um, you know, how kids were entertained and what they listened to. Um, but there were... Because of the nature of serial dramas, very few survive intact with the multi-parts and also just the uh, lack of preservation. Today we're going to bring you an almost complete uh, serial featuring Superman. And this, I think, will be interesting uh, not just for the show plot, but also for the commercials. Uh, you get a real insight as to how kids were brought in and involved in the war effort. This program aired December 23rd, 24th, 28th, 29th, 30th, and the 31st of 1942. The only episode missing is Part 3, which aired on December 25th of 1942. However, I think if you listen, as you listen to the serial, uh, it should be uh, complete enough to uh, pick up what's going on, even with the missing part. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this serial, The Mystery Ship. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from another world who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend the steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. But before we join Superman, here is an important message. Fellows and girls, have you ever seen a squadron of American bombers roaring through the air in formation? Have you seen newsreel pictures of Uncle Sam's destroyers cutting through the seas on patrol in search of enemy subs and surface raiders? I'm sure you have, and I bet you were thrilled. You probably felt terribly proud, too. Well, if you've been buying war-saving stamps regularly, you have a right to be proud. Not only because those planes and those ships represent the fighting spirit of America, but because you helped to build them. Yes, sir. Every time you bought a war-saving stamp, your money helped buy the labor and materials that are used to make planes and ships and equipment to knock out the Nazis and the Japs. So next time you hear some boy or girl in your block say, Oh, shucks, what difference can one dime make? You tell them every dime does make a difference. It makes a big difference. Tell them, for instance, that if every boy and girl in the United States bought just one ten-cent war-saving stamp every day, it would add up to enough money to buy a lot of swift pursuit planes, with which our army and navy forces could blast the axis out of the air. And while you're at it, you might remind them that another way all you fellows and girls can help to win this war is to put back into circulation all the pennies and nickels you've been saving in your piggy banks and tin cans and glass jars. Because as you know, when you put a lot of those coins away, it causes a shortage of them. And in order to make more, the Mint would have to use a lot of metals that are vital to America's war effort. Metals used to make guns and tanks and planes. So get permission tonight to break open your coin bank, and then take those coins and turn them in for war-saving stamps and bombs. In that way, you'll be doing your country a double service. So remember, please, a stamp a day will pave the way to victory. And now, the adventures of Superman. While searching for the lost continent of Atlantis aboard the multi-depth submarine of Dr. Leander Cameron, our friends have had many adventures and were twice saved from utter destruction by the strength and courage of Superman. As our last episode came to a close, it was dusk. Superman, in the guise of Clark Kent, Lois, Editor White, and Dr. Cameron, were standing in the conning tower of the disabled submarine, watching the approach of a large tanker, which appeared to be heading straight for them, apparently without spotting the low-lying sub. Suddenly, the tanker sounded three warning blasts. And our friends knew they were discovered. But strangely enough, without altering her course, the tanker kept coming straight on, seemingly determined to cut the sub in two. Listen. 
Well, they're going to run us down. You're right. We'll be cut in two. They can't do this, Josh. I won't stand it. I'll take this up with the proper authorities. Wait, then, see. No time to think about that now. Look here, maybe you'd all better go below. Are you out of your mind? You just told Mr. White and me to bring the others up here. Now you want us to go below or we'll certainly be killed. Oh, I, I thought maybe... Yes, Kent? You thought what? Oh, nothing. Mm, no, nothing at all. No, Clark, every now and then I have the feeling that you're deliberately trying to get rid of oh, me. Oh, stop I'm arguing with you. This is no time for arguments. I... Uh, oh, blast who's on that tanker. They must see us so they wouldn't have blown that whistle. Are they deliberately going to run us down? Yeah, it looks like it to me. We're better prepared to abandon ship. Nicodemus, Abner, Joshua... Better get up here in the cutting car if you want to save your neck. Have you, uh, have you a light raft, Leander? Oh, we have one, but there's no time to get it now. There's no time for anything. Here comes that tanker now. Another few seconds. Oh, this is horrible. Horrible. That huge ship towering above us about to cut us in two. Clark, Mr. Kent. Steady on. Here it comes. It's going to hit us just after our beam. There's only one thing to do. Get ready to jump into the water. Oh, that's practically suicide. If they're deliberately running us down, they're certainly not going to bother to pick us up. It's too late for anything now. Here she comes. Stand by not. Mr. White! Ah! Ah! As the tanker cuts through Dr. Cameron's already crippled multi-depth submarine and bathosphere, all those on board the sub are thrown clear into the water. Superman immediately drops his disguise of Clark Kent and, as Superman, goes to the rescue of his friend. All right, Lois. I've got you. Oh, Superman. It's you. Yes. Can you stay above water? Yes, I think so. Good. I'll be back to you in a minute. I've got to get the others. <laughs> oh, there's Editor White. Oh! Oh! oh. Going under. Now, I got you. Uh, well, well, who? Think of Lois. <laughs> there we are. Now, there's Dr. Cameron bombing in the water with Nicodemus nearby. Got to work fast. I tell you, Nicodemus, I'm a much better swimmer than you are. Well, we uh, better stay up longer than you do. I wouldn't worry about that, gentlemen. There. Climb up onto my shoulders. Jupiter, Superman again. Boy, but you do get around. The lucky thing for us that he does. Come on. That's right. Onto my shoulders. Both of you. Don't forget Andrew and Joshua. There we are. Don't worry. They're right over there. I'll have them in a moment. Oh, help me. Hey, help me! Hey, help me. 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 Whoever's running that ship must be the meanest man in the world. Oh, my poor multi-depth submarine in Bathysphere. Gone, gone forever. We'll never find the lost continent of Atlantis now. Hold tight. I'm going to land on the deck of that tanker. Here we go. All right, this is your station. Everybody off. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Superman. What about Clark Kent? What are you going to do about him? You'll find him on deck over there behind the smokestack. If he's conscious, I picked him up first. Oh. Oh, uh, Superman, I I don't know how to thank you. Forget it. Up, up. And away! Disappearing into the night sky, Superman immediately swings around and lands once again on the deck of the tanker, out of sight of the others. As our friends come toward him, he greets them as Clark Kent. Hello. Clark, is that you? None other. Well, I see Superman saved the rest of you as well. Yeah, he certainly did. Oh, I never ceased wondering where we'd be if it weren't for Superman. Same here. Oh, never mind wondering about things that really are unimportant at the moment. We're faced with a situation, a rather difficult one, I should say. What do you mean, Doctor? We are now standing on the deck of the very ship whose crew willfully and deliberately crashed into our submarine and sank it at great risk to our lives. Question, what course of action shall we follow? Well, I say, let's get right up and have a straight talk with the captain. That makes sense to me. Any of us armed? Nicodemus, you have a revolver? Did I ever have a revolver? I don't recall. Uh, well, seems we're unarmed, so we can't put up much of a fight. Therefore, we shall adopt a diplomatic attitude. Meaning what? We shall pretend that we think that the captain didn't see us and that he did not deliberately run us down. We shall endeavor to curry favor with him so that... Leander, I think we're wasting a good deal of time and useless talk. Uh, Let's go forward at once and interview the captain. That's a good idea. Let's go, Chief. And so far as being diplomatic is concerned, the first thing I intend to do is to give him a piece of my mind. Following that, the first opportunity, I shall have recourse to law. Good for you, Mr. White. If it hadn't been for Superman, we'd all be drowning now. Oh, very true. Very, very, very true. There's the pilot's cabin on the next deck above. Let's take these stairs here. Yep. 
They'll lead us right to the door of the cabin, Rick. Oh, but I won't tell that captain of this vessel when I meet him face to face. Now, take it easy, Chief. You never know. There may have been a perfectly legitimate reason for running us down. Oh, I'm... nonsense, Carl. They blew their whistle. That proves that they saw us. Oh, I know. And but... how anyone could be so brutal as to deliberately run down another vessel, well, it's beyond me. Yeah, I intend to ask a few questions as to who is going to replace my motor-depth submarine in Bathysphere. Here we are. Here's the pilot's cabin. Let's go in. Oh, this is funny. There's nobody here. Nonsense. Why, well, the ship can't be running by itself. Hey, why must you deny what is right before your face? The ship is moving along, but there's obviously no one at the wheel. Yeah, look there. The wheel's been set on a straight course. Did you see that lock on it? Yes, oh. I see it. Well, this is certainly very peculiar. Nothing peculiar about it, really. Anyone who would deliberately run us down would be the type of person to leave a wheel untended while he will... Well, while he had dinner, for instance. Oh, ridiculous, Leander. There's no point in that. One member of the crew would certainly take over while the man at the wheel went below to eat. There's something very peculiar about this. Very peculiar. Well, now that I think of it, isn't it, isn't it rather peculiar that we saw no sailors on deck since we boarded this ship? That's right. Hey, there's something fishy here. I suggest we go below and find the crew. I want to have this thing out with them right now. Well, wait a minute. That rope hanging from the ceiling. It's got a handle on it. What would that be for? If I'm not mistaken. I... Wait a minute, I'll pull it. Uh-huh. That's the whistle we heard when this ship ran us down. Certainly must have been someone in this cabin that time. It is strange, isn't it? Finding this cabin empty, I mean. More than strange. There's something pretty queer going on here. Well, then, let's get to the bottom of it at once. Well, here, that, that door must lead into the captain's quarters. Let's try it. Right. Oh, this is the captain's cabin, all right. Yes, there's nobody here either. Now, the only conclusion that can possibly be reached is one that I offered you before. This is the dinner hour. There's nobody in the pirate house. The wheel has been locked and set on a straight course. Ergo, they must all be at dinner at this very moment. I suggest we find the dining saloon at once. Well, silly as it may sound, you may be right. Come on, let's find the dining saloon through this door here. All right, now down these steps to the deck below. Careful, now. Well, if the captain of this vessel has actually let his ship run without a man at the wheel, I shall certainly have him brought up on charges in American court. Or wherever they try people in that court. Say nothing of an astounded mid-Atlantic and trying to sink my muddy death submarine in Bathysphere. It's criminal, that's what it is. Downright criminal. Yes, of course, of course. But first, we've got to find someone to accuse of this criminal action. Yeah, the dining saloon ought to be along here somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, this ship follows the regular plan of tankers. Uh, yes, here's the dining saloon right here. Let's go in. Well, I'll be... This is beginning to give me the creep. We're very queer. That long table in the center of the room is set for 12 people. But there's nobody here. Me, positively amazing. Just a minute. What is it, Clark? Well, look here. These plates are filled with soup. Wait. Every one of them. By heaven, the soup is hot. Why? Right. You don't mean to tell me. It's here. Taste it for yourself. What? By heaven, can't you write? That soup is hot. It's hot as if it had just been served. Have people noticed anything? What do you mean, Lois? Well, since we've been aboard this ship, we haven't heard one sound, and we haven't seen one single person. As Clark mentioned before, you always find some members of the crew of any ship on deck, whatever the time may be, and we've seen no one above or below deck. Well, it's my opinion there's nobody on this ship at all. I think you're right. Oh, but there must be. Well, the ship is running. With the wheel up. Yes, yes, but even so, it's running. And somebody must have blown that whistle. And, great Scott, this soup has just been served. There must be someone aboard. On the contrary, Chief, I, I agree with Lois. What? I've got a feeling this ship is deserted. But, but can't. If that's true, what does it mean? It means we've stumbled into another mystery. Mystery for which I... I don't know how we'll ever find an answer. Clark, you actually mean to say that you don't believe there's a soul on board this ship? That it's running without a crew? Well, draw your own conclusions, Lois. Look, that dinner table is set for 12. The plates are filled with soup. Soup so hot that it almost scalds the tongue. Yet there's no one here. Oh, I grant you that, Kent. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the ship is empty. No, it doesn't. No, wait a minute. Just a few moments ago, we all mentioned an eerie feeling of loneliness about this ship. Yes. There was no one in the pilot house, no men on deck, and no one in the captain's quarter. Now we walk into this dining saloon and find places set for 12, 12 plates of hot, steamy soup, and no one here to eat it. Now, maybe you can explain it. No, no, I can't. 
But the captain and crew must be aboard somewhere. Great Scott, Captain. This ship is running, moving along at a fairly good clip. Well, we'll probably find that our boilers have been soaked and left with the dampers wide open. I heaven, I hate to agree with you, but I've got a feeling that you're right. Leander, what do you think of all this? Yes, Dr. Cameron, you know a good deal about the sea. Perhaps you can explain this mystery. No, no, indeed. I'm a man of science. And Einstein, as it were, rather than a Sherlock Holmes. This mystery has me completely baffled. Well, it's a relief to hear you say that something you can do. Nicodemus, I will no longer suffer the slings and arrows of your sarcasm quietly. Another uh, such caustic comment from your lips, and I shall slowly strike you on the nose. You and who else? Me, sir. I mean, I, sir. I, Leander, euthanasia, Cameron. Okay, just that. Now, look here, you two. This is no time for such horseplay. This looks serious. Can't. If we're right in assuming there's no one aboard this ship, we've certainly landed ourselves from the frying pan into the fire. We sure have. Suppose we find out for sure, Chief. Right. Before we jump to conclusions, let's look through the ship and see what we can find. Uh, couldn't we eat first? I my... suggest, Nicodemus, that we wait until we finish searching the ship. Uh, I tell you what, in order to get it all over with as quickly as possible, we'll all take different directions and search different parts of the ship. We'll meet outside the door of the dining saloon in... Well, let's say exactly half an hour. An excellent suggestion, most excellent indeed. I might have made it myself if given time. As a matter of fact, I'm certain it would undoubtedly have occurred to me. All right, all right, all right. Let's go out on deck. All right, I'll open the door. Oh, gracious, it's awfully damp out here on deck. Yes, there's a fog coming up. Yes, and it looks like it's going to be a thick one. In that case, I think we'd better go down into the boiler room, Mr. White, and stop the engines of this ship. Don't tell me what we might run into during a fog. Good suggestion, Captain. While we're on our way down, we can search the forward end of the ship. Dr. Cameron, suppose you and your men go aft and see what you can find. Lois, you come with us. Very good, very good, Kent. And we'll all meet back here outside the dining saloon in half an hour. If that meets with your approval, Doctor. I should say all things considered, we'll be ginger peachy. Come, Nicodemus. Come, men. You're to know it. Well, Kent, any idea where the engine room is and how to get to it? I have a vague idea of how a tanker is laid out. Let's move up the deck. I think we've come to a companionway leading down to the engine room. Fog is really getting thick now. Mm. It's rolling in across the deck in great smoky waves. Yes, and the quicker we throttle down the engines on this ship, the better. Ah, here we are. Here's the door leading to a companionway. Come on, let's go in. Now, uh, watch your footing here, Lois. These steps leading down are terribly steep. Yes, I see. They are. I simply can't understand this. I've been trying to figure out some sensible solution to all this hocus-pocus, but really it's impossible. Nothing is impossible with solution, Lord. The most baffling mysteries are sometimes the easiest to see through. Keep talking, Father Vance. You're going great so far as talk is concerned. Will you two Whoa. stop fencing and keep your eyes and ears open? Ah, here we are. Uh, where do you think this corridor leads to, Kent? Well, the doors on either side must lead to the officer's cabin. Let's have a look. Well, look at that. Lights on full, but nobody in the cabin. Everything seems to be in order, too. Yeah. Let's try the next one. All right, come on. Same thing. Light on in the cabin and no one in it. Wait a minute, Clark. Yes? What are you staring at, Lost? Look, look over there. A bowl of water, a shaving brush standing next to it, and a straight razor. There's a towel lying there, too. My heavens, Kent, this is beginning to get under my skin. The soap on that brush and... Yeah, yes, by George, the water in that bowl is warm. Someone was just about to shave when, when something happened. Yes, but what? Well, I'd give a fortune at this moment to know. Hey, you two. Yes, Clark? Here's a companion waiting the engine All right with you, Kent. Down this way. Perhaps you better wait here, Lord. Not on your life. Okay, come on then. Down these steps. Watch your footing, though. They're steep. Don't worry about me. Uh. It's the engine room, all right. I can hear the engine. Uh-huh. Here we are. How do you stop these engines? Any idea? No, but there must be some levers to pull or some such thing. I don't see anyone around, do you? No, not at all. Ken, Ken, look there. I think those are the levers that you were talking about. Let's have a look. Yes, this seems to be right. This lever is marked with various speeds from slow to full. It's on slow speed now. I'll just shove it into the spot marked stop and see what happens. Well, that's it, all right. Now that we've stopped the ship, aren't we in danger of drifting? Yes, I think we'd better get above decks and see if we can drop the anchor. Well, can we do that alone? Well, if she's a fairly modern ship, yes. The anchor windlass acts on a ratchet mechanism with a catch. All we'll have to do is release the catch, I think. All right, Kent. Lead the way. All right, just up these stairs again. 
Well, what are you stopping for? We'll have one last look around. I can't comprehend all this. An engine room with the engines running, but no one in it. It, it all looks so, so curiously deserted. Well, come along. Well, here's the corridor again. Think we ought to have a look in the cabins that we missed? Well, later, perhaps. Right now, we better get above decks and drop that anchor. Okay, Kent. Say, the funny thing about you. Hmm? What's that, Chief? Mm, you're a strange mixture. Sometimes you act as if the only thing you had in that body of yours was fear. And other times, such as now, you have a certain commanding manner, a certain way of saying and doing things that commands respect. I've noticed that myself, Mr. White. Sometimes, Clark, I almost suspect you of being two people. Well, aren't we all sometimes? Come on, up these steps here to the deck above. Watch your step up. Another thing I've noticed. Every time we start to talk about you, you adroitly change the subject. I'm beginning to think that you're concealing some deep, dark secret about yourself. Perhaps I am. You never can tell. Maybe I got a police record a mile long. Oh, don't be silly. Here's the deck. Gracious, that fog has gotten thick. Mm -hmm. Even if we drop anchor, there's nothing to guarantee us we won't get rammed. That's true, but we'll be safer than if we were drifting, so long as we keep a fog line going. Come on, let's go forward. Mm, This is fantastic. Thoroughly and completely fantastic. Kent, what could have happened to the crew of this ship? Whatever it was, it must have occurred very shortly before Superman brought us aboard. Shortly before we were rammed and sunk. I don't know. We've solved some pretty puzzling mysteries in our time. I always had the feeling we'd never run into anything more baffling than the tiny men or or that business of the statues being broken, but this is something that beats anything I've ever seen before. We're almost at the prow of the ship, Clark. We can't go much further. Oh, yes, there's the anchor windlass right up ahead. It's got this fog is getting thick. We ought to light some riding lights if we can. That wouldn't do much good. Never be seen in time. As soon as we drop anchor, we'll go back to the pilot house and start blowing the fog whistle. If there's one on board. I'm sure there must be. No doubt. Well, here we are. Here's the anchor windlass. So, uh, can I give you a hand, Kent? No, no, Chief, thanks. All I have to do is move the catch in that ratchet. Let's see. Uh... Ah, yes, here we are. Yeah. Ah, that does it. Well, our half hour is nearly up. We'd better get back to the dining saloon to meet Dr. Cameron and his men. They'll be wondering what happened. Ah! Great heavens! Teddy, both of you. Something's happened. Come on! Well, one thing is certain, there's not a soul aboard this ship. Except for that dead captain sitting in that chair at the head of the table. Yeah. Uh, I've been wondering, do you think he might have been killed uh, whilst we were aboard the ship? What do you mean, Nicodemus? Well, you remember when this here tanker rammed and sank us, she sounded three warning blasts on her whistle. Yes. Well, now, somebody must have pulled the cord to sound off that blast. Unless the ship is haunted. Oh, nonsense, Jim. There are no such things as ghosts. The very idea of ghosts haunting a ship or anything else is ridiculous. Listen, Clark. What's that? Well, that's the foghorn on this ship. Somebody's blowing the foghorn. But there's, there's nobody aboard the ship. Well, there must be. Someone is certainly sounding that foghorn. Come on. Where to, Kent? To the pilot house. That's where the foghorn is located. Whoever's sounding it must be there. Nicodemus. Yes? You stay here with the captain. I'm taking no chances on his body disappearing or anything else strange happening in this dining saloon. Now, just a minute, Kent. Just a minute. I ain't taking orders from you. You You'll take orders from me or I'll pitch you over the side. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, everybody. Come on. You too, Jim. You bet I'm coming. Why, Clark, I'm amazed at you. All right, along the deck here. Pilot house is just up ahead. What? What did you mean, Lois? The way you spoke to Nicodemus. You acted like, well, like someone who's used to giving commands and being obeyed. It doesn't check with the things I know about you. Yeah, Miss Lane is right. Oh, well, I, uh, I, occasionally I forget myself. Yes, I suppose that's it. Here are the steps of the pilot house. Great Scott, that, that foghorn shore was loud. Oh, of course, just above us. Golly, let's get up there. There must be somebody blowing that foghorn. I'm sure of it. Come on. Careful, Jim. Easy, Lord. All right, here's the door to the cabin. Well, I'll open it and go in. All right, all right. <laughs> what? Holy hey. mackerel. What in the name of heaven is that? Stand back, all of you. Look, is it human? Well, 
I don't really know. I, it looks like a man. An old man. Dressed entirely in seaweed. That's it. He's covered all over with seaweed. But his face... His face is dead, tasty white. Ooh! All right, now, friends. Let's, let's go with that foghorn handle. <laughs> let's go, I said. Uh-huh. Yeah, don't like yeah, it. let's take anyway. a hand on this, Ken. All right, you. Uh-huh. Get your hands off that handle. Uh-huh. Yeah, help me, Bobby. We just have to force them away from us. Golly. Nice work, Mr. White. That's the old hunter. Well, Punch Chief, he's out cold. Mr. White. Clark. What in the world is the meaning of this this strange thing? It's a man, Lois. A very old man. Dressed in seaweed from head to foot. He's evidently crazy. Undoubtedly. He looks like something horrible. It just crawled out of the sea. But I thought there wasn't another soul on this ship beside ourselves. Well, obviously we were wrong. Finding this strange old creature sounding the foghorn doesn't simplify the mystery. Who is he? What's he doing here? It's me and me. Oh, he's so... so awful looking. He's beginning to move. He's coming too. Oh, Kent, uh, what do you think we ought to do with him? He's dangerous. We'd... We'd better tie him up. Yeah? Well, with what? I think our handkerchiefs will do. Jimmy, uh, let me have yours, will you? All right. Uh, Mr. White? Uh, here you are. I thanks. have one, Clark. All right, Lois, thanks. That's it. Now, let's see here. There. Now, Chief, you take these two and uh, knock them together good, will you? Yeah, I will. Uh, tie his ankles. Right. I'll tie his wrists with these. All right. Look. Oh, he's opened his eyes. <sighs> Lois, what? His eyes are so malevolent, so full of hate. Mm. not laughing anymore. Yeah. Just lying there, glaring at it. Yeah, hold his hands. How about it, Chief? Well, his ankles are tied securely. Good. He'll never get out of that woodman's knot. Uh, I'll say he won't. Well, what do we do with him now? Let's leave him here for the time being. I just had an idea. Yes, Clark? Just occurred to me, if there's an answer to this mystery anywhere, it ought to be in the captain's log. The log? Of course, Kent. I never thought of that. Captain's cabin is right through that door there. Suppose we go in and have a look for the log. Yeah, come on. No sooner said than done. Where would the log be? Well, in his desk, I should say. Let's have a look. Well, nothing here on top. I'll try this drawer here. Here, Jim. Don't see anything that looks like a log. Wait a minute. Look, I think this is it here. Let's have a look. There. Isn't that it? Let's see. Today is December. Now, here we are. The last entry. Uh, what time is it? Let's see. Uh, according to my wristwatch, it's exactly ten minutes past eight. This entry is dated today... And the time noted is 6.15. That's less than two hours ago. Golly. Well, what's it say, Mr. Kent? Here, I'll read it to you. Aboard the Albatross, bound east for Liverpool. I'm about to join my officers in the dining saloon for our evening meal. But before I do so, I deem it wise to put down in writing the things that have happened to us aboard this ship this day. To recount my fears so that those who find us will know what horrible thing it was that finally did us in. Golly, apparently he knew something was going to happen. He was afraid. How amazing to think that he wrote that less than two hours ago. Yeah. Well, we've been aboard this ship, the Albatross, about an hour and a half. Whatever happened took place within half an hour after he wrote that. Hmm. Uh, go on, Kent. Sir? Oh. It goes on here. The day was quite uneventful until four o'clock this afternoon. Strong, the first mate, came to me and said that he had seen the the old man of the seaweed crawl aboard ship at the taffrail. He was genuinely frightened, I could see that, and I tried to calm his fears. The old man of the seaweed is, of course, nothing but a superstition, and I certainly do not believe that... That look on your face, what's the matter? What is it? Some sort of crawls along here. Give it a clip. Great heavens. Sorry, Mr. Kent, what is it? Yes, Clark, for heaven's sake. Listen to this. As I've been writing this, I've had the feeling that someone was watching me. This very moment I looked up, and standing before me in the doorway is the old man of the seaweed. I cannot understand this. I've never believed in this legend of the sea. I've never believed in the harm this old man can do. But at this very moment, he is moving toward me, laughing quietly, but horribly. Holy smoke. 
Well, well, go on. That's all. The log ends right there. Oh, but what does it mean? Yes, sir. What happened here after he wrote that? Well, the answer seems pretty obvious. The captain was killed by the old man of the seaweed. But gosh, Mr. Kent, who is the old man of the seaweed? That, that man out there, that demented creature we just tied up. Now, wait a minute, Kent. Let's be sensible. In the log, the captain tells us the first mate saw that man out there crawling out of the sea. That's right. That, well, that just isn't possible. Of course, Clark, this is absolutely fantastic. No wonder. Suppose we just go over what's happened to us in the last two hours. Our submarine was rammed and sunk by this tanker. Yes. The tanker blew three warning blasts before it sank us. Right. Superman brought us safely aboard, and then we discovered that the ship was running without a crew. Don't forget, when we went down to the dining saloon, we found places set for 12 and no one there. And the soup in the plates was hot. I'm not forgetting that, Lord. And then later on, when we came back to the dining saloon after searching the ship, we found the captain sitting at the head of the table, dead. Oh, right. Golly, all this happened before I got That's here. That's right, Jimmy. And whatever's happened since, you know about. All right, Clark, we've gone over the situation thoroughly. You gave me the impression after we've done that you'd be able to offer some explanation for all this mystery. Oh, sorry, Lois, I didn't mean to do exactly that. I, I was just trying to recall what's happened in the last two hours to find a clue if possible, but I can't. Oh, you're right, this is a fantastic business. I suggest we go into the pilot house again and try to get something out of the old man of the seaweed. Oh, but he's crazy, Kent. I don't think you'll be able to tell us anything. Well, you never know. Come on. There he is, lying on the floor. Looks like just a bundle of seaweed. Yeah, seems to have passed out again. Well, we'll soon wake him up. All right, friends, step out of it. Come on, now. We... What in the world? Clark, what's the matter? I went to pick him up with a collar and look. Good heavens, I... I can't believe it. Mr. Kent, you're just holding a big bunch of seaweed in your hand. There's no man there at all. Good heavens. What I thought was a man is nothing but a pile of seaweed. This is ghastly. Clark, we must be dreaming. You're right, Lois. This is a dream, a horrible nightmare. I see Ken standing there holding a pile of seaweed in his hand. A pile of seaweed we thought was a man. But he's not really there. We're well, just on, out of our Hold mind. on, take it easy, all of you. I am here. This is a pile of wet seaweed I'm holding in my hand, and this whole business is anything but a dream. It's true, every bit of it. But it doesn't make sense, Mr. Ken. It doesn't add up. What's it all mean? I don't know yet, but there must be a logical, sensible solution to it. You can depend on that. Great heavens, Clark, you always say the same thing. Well, That's true, Lois, but remember, he's usually right. But this is impossible. Ten minutes ago, we captured that... that thing you're holding in your hand, and in it we thought was a man, an old... No, Lord. But you realize what's happened here? No, what do you mean, Kent? Because we find a pile of seaweed here now, you assume that that was all we had before. The reason you feel that way, we just imagined the old man was dressed in seaweed, is because you're letting the mystery of this ship get you down. Actually, we did capture a man, a man who was dressed in this costume. Somehow, he's managed to escape while we were in the captain's cabin going over the log. Oh, I get it. The guy comes to, unties himself, slips out of that suit of seaweed, and takes it on the lamb. Inelegantly put, Jim, but that's about it. Oh, golly, what do we do now? We search the ship until we find the man again. Now, Jim, you stay here and... Stay here? Oh, golly, no. I want to search the ship with the rest of you. This isn't a game, Jim. It's a very serious business. I want you to stay here and keep that foghorn going. We're in a very dense fog, and there's no telling what might ram us. Okay, I'll stay if that's the way I can help. Lois, Mr. White, you come with me. Well, think we dare leave Jimmy here alone, Kent? The old man of the seaweed might get to him and, uh... Well, we'll take care of that. Now, Jim, when we leave here, I want you to lock yourself in. Lock both the doors leading to this pilot house and also the door leading into the captain's cabin. You ought to be safe enough. Oh, don't worry about me. I can protect myself. Good boy. All right, let's go. I'll start that foghorn going right now. All right, Jim. Now, lock the door, Jim. Okay. Hey, uh... Kent, I suggest we split up. We can search the ship in double-quick time that way. All right, but one of us had better stay with Lois. She's no match for the old man of the seaweed in case she meets up with him. That's so. I can handle myself pretty well, if you please, Mr. Kent. And I'm not handicapped as you are by being afraid of my own shadow. I don't doubt it, Lois, but I still think one of us should stay with you. How about it, Chief? Suppose you and Lois search the forepart of the ship while I go aft. All right with me, if you're not afraid to go it alone. Well, I'm not pleased by it, but there's nothing else to be done. I'll see you later in the pilot house. If you find our man, yell out. Yeah, if you do. All right, Lois, we'll tackle the crew's quarters first. Down this companionway and keep your eyes open. Oh, don't worry about Easy me, now. Mr. No, no, and you know, I'm so confused, I hardly know which way to turn or what to do next. That portion of the captain's log that Kent read to us keeps going through my head. Mine, too. I keep trying not to believe the part about the first mate seeing the old man of the seaweed crawl aboard out of the sea. And yet I... Oh, I don't know. No, and I'm sure I don't either. Here, uh, down this corridor here. You know, it just occurred to me, Mr. White, if the old man should happen on Dr. Cameron's assistant, Nicodemus, who's guarding the dead cat in the dining saloon, it'll frighten him half to death. It certainly will. 
But we've no time to warn him of that now. Uh, I think the crew's quarters are just the other side of that door. Let's go in. It's dark in here, isn't it? I'd better snap on the light if I can find it. Yes, I'll close the door. Oh, here's the light switch. Well, this place seems to be deserted just like the rest of the ship. You never can tell. You better search thoroughly. The bunks, the lockers, everything. Yeah. <laughs> what? Great Scott. Dwight. He must have been standing behind the door when we opened it. Yeah. It's the old man of the seaweed. I could never forget that face. Look, that wicked-looking knife in his hand. Wicked and effective, for I am an expert at throwing. Uh, missing. But I felt the breeze from it, nevertheless. Oh, <laughs> look out. He's picking up a heavy wrench. He's going to come for you with that. In which case, I'd better throw this chair. I've nothing to defend myself with. You hit him with that wrench. <laughs> I told you I was an expert at throwing. And now, miss, it's your turn. You stay away from me. Stay away, you loathsome, disgusting. <laughs> Let go. Take your hands off me. Take your hands off me. <laughs> your turn now. I'll get rid of you just as I got rid of the captain and his crew. <laughs> down the corridor here. <laughs> and then down the stairs to the engine room. <laughs> and now, miss, no one can hear you down here, so I'll just take my hand from your mouth. You beast. And don't fight. It will do you no good. I'm crazy. I certainly say. So it will do you no good to struggle. I'll find your hands with these cords I have with me. No! <laughs> you see, it does you no good to fight. Oh! Your hands are bound. And now to bind your ankle so that you can't move. Oh, you loads of... There. <laughs> Kick me, would you? <laughs> your ankles are tied. And now, miss, you can lie here and watch while I turn on the motor. What are you going to do? What horrible thing are you planning? Planning? I am no longer planning. What do you mean? <laughs> it is already planned. The first thing I do is to throw this lever which sets the ship's motors in action. How are you doing? Now, that does it. And now, miss, let me call your attention to the machine. You see those huge pistons? You see them moving upward and forward and then backward and downward? Like the drive wheels on a locomotive? You see them? I see them, yes. Well, once a man fell from that catwalk up there, need I say what happened to him? Those pistons driving up and down. Oh, no. Ah, yes. You hit me. <laughs> I told you you'd pay for it. And now, now is the time. <laughs> no. No, put me down. You can't do a horrible thing like this. Let go of me. Uh, let go of you. But not before I've thrown you. I told you I was an expert at throwing. And I'm aiming you for that spot right under the downcoming piston. And here you go. No, my friend. Here you go. Superman. Oh, she's fainted. Well, this gives me a chance to return to my disguise of Clark Kent. Oh. Just in time, too. Superman. Clark. Clark, what are you doing here? Well, I, uh, I just came down here on a hunch, you might say. A, a hunch that the old man we're looking for was here, and sure enough, I find him out like a light, and you lying here in a faint. Gracious. I guess I must have been unconscious for some time. I guess you must have. Clark, that man lying there. It was horrible. What? He was going to... Oh, I can't bear to think of it. What do you mean? Superman arrived just in time to knock him out and save me. Well, lucky for you. Hey, by the way, where's Mr. White? Mr. White? I'd forgotten about him. He's in the cruise quarters. In the cruise quarters? Yes, this man knocked him out with a large wrench. We'd better get to him yes. and see if he's all right. Oh, but wait a minute. First, I'll turn off these engines before we're pulled off our anchor here. Well, I'll find which one is the right lever. No, I think this is the lever here. Yeah. Now, let's see. Uh-huh. That was it, all right. Well, that does that. Come on, let's see about White. All right, but... Wait a minute. What? 
What about what about that, that man lying there? Well, we said Superman hit him, and if I remember correctly, when Superman hit them, they stay put for a time. There's no need to worry about him. Come on, let's... Stay where you are. What the... Throw up your hands and don't budge, or I'll shoot to kill. The man dressed in the naval flyer's uniform. Who are you? Lieutenant Saunders, United States Navy. Who are you? Oh. What were you doing down here? Uh, for a moment, Dale, I thought we'd got ourselves into more trouble. I wouldn't be too sure you haven't. Who are you? I think I'm just beginning to get this. Lieutenant, I'm Clark Kent, and this is Lois Lane. Thank you. If I'm not mistaken, we're the people you've come to rescue. Oh, of course. My men and I just arrived in the patrol bomber. The rest of my crew are going over the ship now. Oh. Just what's been going on here? Who's that man lying there? He's a madman. He was going to kill me. It's a long story, Lieutenant, and I'm a little worried about another member of our party, Editor Perry White. He was struck down by this madman here and maybe badly hurt. I see. Well, you'd better get to your friend at once. <laughs> This fellow looks as if he won't be coming through for some time, I should say. Now we'll come back from later. Come along up these companionway stairs. A short time later, in the captain's cabin, Lieutenant Saunders and the others listen to Clark Kent's story. When Kent is finished, Saunders sits silently for a time, studying the strange entry in the captain's log. Slowly, an odd look comes over his face, and he shakes his head in puzzlement. Clark Kent speaks. What is it, Lieutenant? Is something wrong? I don't think it's anything, Clark, except Lieutenant Saunders finds this mystery as baffling as we do. Boy, that entry in the captain's log where he says the old man of the seaweed is coming toward him laughing horribly. That sure makes your hair stand up. Yes, it is. I know all that. Fantastic, of course, but, well, it's nothing to what I'm going to tell you. You see, I know something you don't know. Something that further complicates the mystery. Oh, golly. Could it be any more complicated than it is? Yes, I'm afraid it can, Jimmy. Let me tell you what I mean. About seven months ago, while on routine patrol, we picked up an SOS. We headed for the spot where the ship was going down. The radio signals became weaker and finally died away altogether. The last message we received was, We are sinking fast, hurry, water rising in radio room. That was the last we heard. Well, we reached the spot given by the radio operator and, well, there was no ship in sight. Evidently, she had gone down before we could get there. Well, what's all that got to do with us, Lieutenant? Well, just this, Mr. Kent. The ship that had apparently gone down was this very ship. What? Jeepers. Well, just a minute. I, I know it sounds more than fantastic, but get this. The ship was named the Albatross, just like this one. She was a tanker, just like this one. And she was bound east for Liverpool, and so was this one, according to the ship's papers. Well, even so, there's a chance there might be another ship by that name going to the same place. Yeah, I thought of that. However, Kent, one thing cinches it. The captain's name was Brenner, Captain Robert Brenner. And that was the name of the captain of this vessel. What? But golly, if this is the same ship, then... Well, then, there must be such things as ghost ships. No, not necessarily, Jim. Lieutenant Saunders and his men didn't actually see the ship go down. They merely assumed she had. No, that's right, Ken. I don't believe in ghosts and such things myself, so I'm more than willing to believe that the ship did not go down. But, well, what happened to her in the meantime? Well, the log certainly doesn't tell us. Well, it's a mystery, all right, and simply have to be solved. My job is done, however. I'll leave some of my crew aboard until we can send a vessel out to escort this ship into port. You people will return to the naval base with me. Well, what are you going to do about the old man of the seaweed, Lieutenant Saunders? Uh, I really can't say, Jim. We've got him in irons, of course, and he does seem to be insane. Still, he's our only clue, our only live clue at any rate. Best thing to do is to take him back to the base and let my commanding officer decide what to be done about him. How will we get back to Metropolis from the naval base? Oh, well, that's easy, Miss Lane. The clipper makes the base a regular port of call. Matter of fact, I think I can get you back just in time to make the next clipper. We'd better hurry, though. Let's get going, then. Why, so glum, Clark. You look as if you've lost your last friend. Well, I just can't help wishing we had solved the mystery of this ship before leaving it. No, it would take Superman to solve this mystery, and you're no Superman. No, I suppose not. Well, let's go. Leaving the mystery ship in the fog-shrouded night, our friends board the Navy patrol bomber and soon reach the United States Naval Base. An hour later, they board the clipper for Metropolis and are soon winging through sunlit skies bound west for the great city. So far as they know, the mystery of the albatross, though unsolved, is at an end. Little do they realize it is only beginning, for as chance would have it. But wait, let's look in on our friends in the lounge of the Clipper. What a wonderful, wonderful sight. Don't you think so, Clark? Hmm? What, Lois? I wasn't listening. Look through the slanted windows. Look, that limitless expanse of blue-green ocean stretching as far as the eye can see. Yes, I was sort of staring at it, thinking about the albatross. Gosh, Mr. Kent, I don't think there'll ever be an answer to that mystery. Oh, yes, there will, Jim. There's never been a mystery yet that didn't have an answer. 
Usually, the more complicated the mystery, the simpler the answer. I hope you're right. But I stick to what I said before. There's only one person who could solve this mystery, and that is Superman himself. Down, Bob! Down, I say! Oh, who's this coming into the lounge? It's a man and... Dolly, a great dane. Great dane? I didn't know dogs were committed aboard planes. Well, evidently this one was. Yeah, it looks as if he's someone of importance. As a matter of fact, Dolly, he's sure having trouble with that dog. What's that he's got around his neck? That's what's known as a choke collar, Jim. When you pull on it, it chokes and subdues the dog. When used correctly, it's quite all right. But when used with a force he's using now, it's very amazing. You wouldn't think a man who looks like that would maltreat an animal. No. He looks quite distinguished, really. Short beard and monocle and very, very British. Come to Cordelia! Do it, you fool! All right, you're asking for this. Look, look, he's strangling that animal. Well, don't sit there. Do something. Uh, I don't like you in a sail, Lord. Oh, devil take you, you blasted hound. Clark Kent, when you get a backbone, let me know. But, Lord. All right, if you won't do anything about it, I will. Uh, just a moment, there. What in the world do you think you're doing to that animal? I beg your pardon? I've never seen a dog so mistreated in my life. If your understanding of this animal, madam, was a tenth as great as your anger, I believe you speak in a different tone. Oh, you do? Really? That, madam, is a static remark which admits of no argument. Master Cordelia! Stop trying to pull my very arm out of its socket! Down, I say, down! Stop it! Do you hear now? Stop it! You're choking that dog to death! Madam, this dog is a great day. She weighs 150 pounds. She's a very well-behaved beast on most occasions, but now and then she must be handled this way. No dog need be handled that way if its master knows his business. Oh, madam, you... Oh, stop calling me madam. My name is Lane, Miss Lois Lane. Oh, the, uh, reporter female, what? Yes, and I... How did you know that? I should say every passenger aboard knows of your adventure with a mystery ship. What's that? You mean to say that story is known to everyone aboard this plane? I don't believe we've been properly introduced, young man. Oh, uh, my name is Clark Kent. Oh, yes, yes, of course. The reporter, Chet, that's right. Uh, devilishly pleased to meet you. You know, for a moment I thought you were... Well, that is... Yes? Uh, nothing. Nothing at all. May I present myself? My name is Tresida. Sir Alfred Kenneth Tosida, Lord of Michaelsfield. Why, of course, I've heard of you. Aren't you the man who's noted for his kennels? I breed great Danes, Miss Lane, and I pride myself on knowing how to treat them. Your criticism of my treatment of Cordelia distresses me no end. I assure you I have no intention of being inhumane, but really, with such as you just witnessed, there's nothing for it, you know. One is forced to adopt strict measures. Well, I wouldn't think of criticizing anyone who knows as much about dogs as you do, Sir Alfred, but... We've just that I've always Oh, yes, heard. yes, yes, I know, but quite erroneous, I assure you. Quite. <laughs> down, Dr. Cordelia, down. Oh, please, don't. Please, Miss Lane, I know what I'm doing. I know you do, but the poor animal... Does no harm, believe me. Well, I dare say you'll have an interesting story for your paper when we reach Metropolis. The mystery ship, I mean. Oh, no, we've been asked not to release it. Oh, why not? The effect on the morale of seamen, especially those who work on tankers. Tell us the superstitious, you know. Not all, that is, but many. Oh, nonsense, I go out to nonsense. Well, in any case, Sir Alfred, we won't print the story. Well, that's your own affair, of course. Well, I'd better take Cordelia to my cabin, I suppose. It was only by the greatest luck in the exercising of a good deal of influence that I was permitted to bring her with me. Good morning. Good morning. morning. What? Sir Alfred's an awfully charming person, even if he does. Clark, what is the matter with you? Hey, Clark. Mr. Kent, why are you looking after Sir Alfred that way? That man is not Sir Alfred Tresida. What? What? I met Sir Alfred years ago when he was in America. I was a cub reporter then. He came here to lecture on the training of dogs, especially Great Dane. That man is not Sir Alfred Tresida. What? What? How do you know? I met Sir Alfred years ago when he was in America. I was a cub reporter then. He came here to lecture on the training of dogs, especially the Great Dane. That man is not Sir Alfred Tresida. But how can you be sure, Mr. Kent? Well, Sir Alfred had a kindly face, Jim. This man's face, well, it, it's not the same. And then there's the dog. He brought the same dame with him. Cordelia was her name. And she worshipped the ground he walked on. Matter of fact, he was his prized pupil and obeyed his every instruction. He certainly never maltreated her the way that man did. But if he's not Sir Alfred Kenneth Tresida, who is he? Yeah, and where's the real Sir Alfred? Two very interesting questions. And something tells me we better answer them and answer them quick. Clark, if that man isn't Sir Alfred Tresida, then I think we'd better go to him at once and demand to know who he is. No, 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 not so fast, Lois. That wouldn't get us anywhere. Let's watch him and keep an eye on him. Chances are he'll betray himself before we reach Metropolis. But you say that you know he's not Sir Alfred. Yes, I know he's not Sir Alfred, but what I want to know is why he's masquerading as Sir Alfred. Golly, Mr. Ken, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean we mustn't betray ourselves to him. Whoever he is, he's assuming the identity of someone else, and whoever does that is up to trouble. 
We've got to find out what sort of trouble he's up to before we tip our hands. I don't see that, Clark. I don't see it at all. Why? If he's trying to palm himself off of someone else, I think we ought to confront him with the fact that we know about it. Just because you haven't the courage to go to him. Oh, and... now, please, Lois, it's not that. I just think it's best to wait, that's all. Oh, wait, Mr. Kent, what do you think he's up to? I don't know, Jim. Not yet, at any rate. Of course you don't know, and you'll never find out if you don't go to that man and confront him with the facts. Oh, look, Lois, we're six hours away from Metropolis. I guarantee we'll find out all about that pony by the time we reach the airport. All right, Mr. Kent, we'll see. We'll just wait and see. But Lois does not wait to see. The more she thinks about it, the more convinced she becomes that the fake Sir Alfred Tresida must be confronted with the fact that his impersonation has been discovered. Finally, convinced, she determines to take matters in her own hands. Excuse me, I think I'll go to Mr. White's stateroom and see how he feels. Maybe the dressing on his head needs to change. Of course, Lois, that's a good idea. Go ahead. But Lois does not go to Editor White's stateroom. Instead, she goes to the one occupied by Sir Alfred. She knocks at the door. Yes? I'd like to see you for a moment, Sir Alfred. Yes? Oh, it's you, Miss Layton. Uh, still concerned, are you, over my treatment of the dog? Why, well, yes. I'd like to come in and talk to you about that. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Of course. Do come in. Thank you. Well, Miss Lane, fire away. I'll try to answer any questions you may ask. Very well. Maybe you can answer this one. Why are you masquerading as Sir Alfred Tresida? I beg your pardon? I happen to know that you are not Sir Alfred Tresida. Who are you, really? Miss Lane? I've had enough trouble from you for one day. I'm afraid I must ask you to leave. Sorry, I'm not leaving till I find out who you are and what you're up to. I see. Determined young woman, aren't you? I usually get what I go after. Oh. Sometimes. Sometimes, Miss Lane, one gets a little more than one goes after. Why are you missing that door? Since you are so determined to stay, I am making certain that you do not leave. Now, look here, Sir Alfred. This is becoming ridiculous. I insist... Do you see anything ridiculous about this? You've got a gun in your hand. More automatic. Yes, and it's equipped with a silencer. Sit down, Miss Lane. You and I are going to have a little talk. And not about dogs. (laughs) Sit down. Sit down, Miss Lane. There, that's excellent. Now then, where did you get the notion that I am not the Alfred Tresida? It would be best to tell me, Miss Lane. I suppose I have no choice. I didn't discover it myself. Mr. Kent did. Your actions with the dog aroused his suspicions. Not only that, he happens to know Sir Alfred personally. It would be better to say that he knew Sir Alfred. What? Sir Alfred Tresida is dead. Dead? Yes, I killed him. Why? What for? So that I could impersonate him. Very simple, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. But why are you impersonating him? I'd rather not answer that. Matter of fact, Miss Lane, I've wasted just about enough time with you, I think. You'll know too much, I'm afraid. And I'm going to have to shoot you right now. Drop that gun. Drop that gun. Silverman, where did you come from? Don't ask questions. Go back to the lounge. I'll take care of this faker. But I don't understand. For once, Miss Lane, do as you're told. Clark Kent warned you not to come here. You might have heeded that warning. But I still Go back to the lounge. Jimmy Olsen is there. Stay with him. Where's Clark Kent? He's in his stateroom taking a nap. Now go. Yes. Yes, of course. Now then, I'd better close this door. Pretty much of a wreck, but if I wedge a chair against it, I'll hold it closed and give me the privacy I need. There we are. Oh, oh. friend is coming round. Oh. Well, since Lois has messed this up, I might just as well end oh. the simple way. Wash it, me. I did. Oh, who are you? Where'd you get that fancy rig you're wearing? I'll ask the questions. You're not really Sir Alfred Tresida. I know that definitely since I was listening at the door. I also heard you say you had killed him. Why? I'll never answer that. No? Go on, hit me again. Do your worst. I'll never talk. Oh, well, we'll see. Go away, put me down. Put me down. Over your face with my cape. There's no need cutting it. Cut my face, Clark. Yes, we're going through that window since there's no way of opening it. Out. Out. Stop it, Clark. I'm talking. Put me down. Put me down. What am I saying? Let go of me, please. I beg of you. And talk. Why did you kill Sir Alfred Tresida? Why are you masquerading as Sir Alfred? The whole story out with it. No, I can't tell you that. You can and you will. No, it's impossible, I tell you. You're in store. And I bid you goodbye. I'm going to drop you. Happy landing. Down. Down. There, I'm right beside you. Talk and I'll catch you in my arms. Refuse and I'll let you fall into the ocean. No, I'll talk Only catch me. Catch me. There, got you. Oh, thank heaven. All right, back to your cabin in the plane. Now then, start talking and fast. My name is Rudy von Beckmaster. I am a German agent. What? 
But your accent, your mannerisms. As a youth, 12 years ago, I was sent to Oxford to study. In preparation for this work, I was to do for our Führer. I was brought up as an Englishman, trained to speak, act, even to think like an Englishman. Let's see. Go on. An agent was needed in America to carry out the minute details of the new war of nerves. We are beginning against the American Merchant Marine. Wait a minute. American Merchant Marine? Did you by any chance have anything to do with the Albatross incident? The mysterious deserted tanker found in mid-Atlantic? Yes. My men engineered the whole affair. Go on, tell me more. How was it accomplished? No, I've said too much. Keep on talking or out that window we go again. No, 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 wait, go on. I'll go on. The submarine captured that tanker and took off her crew. We forced the radio operator to send a message for help, pretending that the ship was sinking. I see. Then we quickly left the spot, taking the tanker with us under full steam. We kept her hidden until we were ready to start our mystery. Hmm. I think I get it. Some days ago, you sent that tanker out into the high seas with no one aboard but the old man of the seaweed. Then he wasn't really crazy. <laughs> of course not. He, too, is an agent trained to perform his task expertly. It was his job to further mystify those who came across the ship. Now I see how all this ties in with your so-called war of nerves. Haunted ships. Ships returned from the grave. Ships running without crews. Dead captains reappearing at dinner tables. All part of a plan to terrorize the sailors of the American Merchant Marine. Yes, that's exactly what we planned. Well, I'll say one thing. I'm afraid you don't know the American Merchant Marine. Your trick was a good one. But I'm afraid it would certainly have fizzled. I don't think so. We Germans are never wrong. Oh. Tell that to the Russians. Well, all right. Get on with it. How and why did you impersonate Trasida? Well, it was done to get one of our agents into America. We knew Trasida was coming to America. Because I looked something like Trasida, it was arranged that I should make myself up to look as much like him as possible, kill him, and take his place in the plane. I carried out my assignment to the letter. So it seems. Evidently, the dog, which of course I was forced to bring with me, gave me away. Well, now that you know the entire story, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Just this. Oh! Now, resume my disguise of Clark Kent and turn this Nazi over to the captain. I think he might be called Superman's New Year contribution to the war effort. And so ends another thrilling and baffling Superman mystery. A brand new series of Superman adventures begins on Monday, same time, same station. So be sure to listen in every day, Monday through Friday. Tune in and follow The Adventures of Superman. Yes, don't fail to join us again on Monday for the beginning of a new and exciting Superman story. And don't forget that tomorrow, New Year's Day, there'll be no Superman program on the air because Superman and his friends have given up their airtime so that you may listen to the thrilling cotton ball game between Georgia Tech and Texas University on the Mutual Network and the station to which you're now listening. So be with us at the kickoff of the cotton ball game tomorrow. And then tune in the adventures of Superman again on this station at this same time on Monday. Meanwhile... Superman, Lois Lane, Editor White, Jimmy Olsen, and yours truly, wish for you a very, very happy and prosperous New Year. And we hope that when another New Year rolls around, the war will be over and the world will be at peace. So long now until next year. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky. It's a plane! Follow the adventures of Superman every day, Monday through Friday, same time, same station. Superman is directed by George Lothar and is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. This is Mutual. Welcome back. Well, the end hot into the war, even 
went along with the commercials. And uh, like I said, it illustrates how kids were uh, being encouraged to become involved in uh, savings uh, for the war. That'll do it for now. If you have a story about your experiences or that of a loved one in World War II, I'd love to hear from you. I welcome all your comments at box13 at greatdetectives.net. Ken Curlin provides the opening theme, Heroic, KenCurlin.com. Andrew Rines edits our sound, otrwesterns.com. I'm your host, Adam Graham. The war is offered as a service of the great detectives of old-time radio, 